It can be difficult for anyone to admit that they have sinned. Even as Christians, we have a tendency to want to deny or make excuses for the things that we do wrong. Our sin may even lead to doubt whether we have eternal life. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more free resources over at Radical.net. Well, in today's sermon from 1 John, David Platt reminds us that instead of hiding or denying our sin before a holy God, Scripture invites us to confess it and to find the forgiveness that comes through the death of Christ. Walking in the light involves regularly receiving God's grace and walking humbly in obedience to His commands. Here's David Platt with a sermon titled, Why Jesus Died and How We Live, from 1 John chapters 1 and 2. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, uh, you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to the first letter of John. So 1 John chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I do want to welcome those of you who are gathering with us at uh, Loudoun and Montgomery County and Prince William and on Main Avenue, different congregations, Lord willing, I'll be at Arlington tonight. It is good to come together across Washington around God's Word, and we are memorizing this Word together, at least a chapter in it. So last week we started a journey through the book of 1 John in the Bible, this letter that John wrote as a pastor to help people know that they have eternal life and to enjoy God's everlasting love. So we are trying together to memorize the first chapter of this letter. So one verse a week for 10 weeks, and we are about to find out who memorized 1 John 1, 1 this week. Now, I did forget last week to mention the translation that I'm using for us as we do this together. So I apologize for that. So you now have an excuse. Oh, I didn't know what translation. Otherwise, I would have done it. So uh, I'm, I'm preaching this during the series from the English Standard Version. So English Standard Version, ESV. So some of you may be memorizing another translation. Some of you may be memorizing in a whole other language. And if that's so, that's great. You just can follow along as best as you can in the translation or language you're using. But if you have memorized 1 John 1, 1 in the English Standard Version, the ESV, then I want to invite you to say it with me now. So we're going to join in to different congregations. I obviously can't hear you, but I'm going to trust you with me, with us. So here we go. You ready? All right, here we go. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and our hands have touched concerning the word of life. That was pretty good. Now, was it on the screen back there? The one on the screen. Was it on there? Okay. Well, the first service it was. And they like nailed it. And I was like, well, well done. But then I looked behind me. Well, of course, you can read. So uh, anyway, well, that was really impressive then for not having anything on the screen. In fact, let's try it one more time. All right. So, uh, all right, here we go. You know, I, and I mentioned kind of the words are kind of uh, grammatically a little complex, so it's a little challenging, but here we go. Let's say it one more time. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and behind. Oh, no, I've touched with our hands. <laughs> Concerning the world of life, oh, I just blew it. I just totally blew it. You know what happened in my mind? I don't know, because all these words, when, when we got to looked upon, I was like, is it upon or on? Upon or on? I was, and then I got distracted. There you go. All right, so, well, we're kind of one-tenth of the way to memorizing a chapter of the Bible together. So, if you missed last week, you can obviously catch up with us fairly quickly. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we will say verses one and two together. And remember, the reason we're doing this is because we want to hide God's Word in our hearts. We want God's word to be part of us, like affecting, not just affecting, but transforming the way we think and desire and, and act and speak. We want God's word just to flow from us. I was talking to somebody in the lobby afterwards, just saying, I've been, I've been saying it to myself all week long, just all day, every day, all day on the way to here in the car. Uh, so this is what we, we want God's word to be like that to us. So... Today, 
First John chapter one, verse five through chapter two, verse six. If you're taking notes, I wanna give you three pieces of news. So I'm delivering some news to you today. Three pieces of news that will lead us to two massive exhortations for our lives. So three pieces of news and two exhortations, all coming from 1 John 5, 1, 5 through chapter 2, verse 6. So let's start in verse 5 of chapter 1. This is God's word. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. All right. Three pieces of news. Good news, the bad news, and the best news. So we'll start with the good news. The good news, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, is that God is holy. God is holy. This is the message we have heard. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. I, I love this. So we left off last week with John saying, I write these things for your joy, for our joy. So here goes. Here's the message that brings joy. You ready for it? Here it is. God is light. So see it. A joy in our lives starts with a proper understanding of God. The focus on God, a God centered approach to everything. Now that's very different from the way we think. We think joy starts with focusing on ourselves. What we think we need, what we think we want. That's where, so that's where we go and then we start looking for joy accordingly. That's not where the Bible starts. The Bible starts saying joy starts with seeing God as light. So what does that mean? Why does that bring joy? Why is it good news that God is light? Well, here's why. For God to be light means that he is, this is where I'm using the word, holy. He is the source of pure life and perfect goodness. Think about that. God is the source of pure life. For God to be light is a picture of the pure life that is found in him. Remember back to the beginning of the Bible? Where did life begin? Genesis chapter one, verse three, God said, let there be what? Light. And there was light and God saw the light was good. Life began with light. So it's no coincidence then that when John writes his gospel account of Jesus' life, he opens up by saying about Jesus, in him was life and that life was the what? light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In announcing the coming of Jesus, John's saying light has come. Life has come. So for God to be light means that he is the source of pure life and God is the source of perfect goodness. Perfect goodness. He is perfect. That's part of the meaning behind light here. There's no hint of darkness in God at all, verse 5 says. Everything in God is right. God never does anything wrong. He is perfect. 
I think about my 10-year-old son right now. Next Saturday is Faith Day at Nationals Park. And after the Nationals game, I'll interview some players down on the field and share the gospel with people who are stuck around after the game. So if that's something you would like to invite a non-Christian friend or family member or co-worker to, I would encourage you to do that. You can even get tickets in the NBC section, actually. But So that, that'll be happening on Saturday, Lord willing. But they asked me before the game to throw out the first pitch. And my 10-year-old son, when he found out about that to me, just looked at me and he said, Dad, don't blow it. And he just looked at me and he said, you can't, you can't throw it over the catcher and you definitely can't bounce it up there to him. But you also can't just lob it up there. So, so he's put the pressure on and he actually, he's taken the initiative. He has said, Dad, we need to go out and practice. So this is not, this is not me. Yeah, this is, this is my son saying to me, Dad, you need to practice. Not me telling my son he needs to practice for a sport. He's like, Dad, you need to practice. So he, he helped me measure out uh, 60 feet, 6 inches and, and he got down like a catcher and... Uh, just the, the current uh, status report is I'm all over the place. And, uh, and he's like, Dad, you can't mess this up. So this is what's different about God. God never has to worry about messing anything up. He can mess up. It's not possible in his character. He is perfectly good. And good is key in that description because light is contrasted with darkness all over the Bible to depict the contrast between good and evil. So when John says there's no darkness in God, he's saying there is no evil in God. Everything in God is good. Have you ever met someone, the more you get to know them, you thought they were a good person, but there seems to be kind of this darker side there and you're disappointed. John says that will never happen with God. God has no dark side, no shade of darkness whatsoever. He is pure light. God has no stain of evil anywhere in him. It is not possible for him. He is perfect goodness. And this is good news for us. This is great ground for joy. Think about it. What if the God who created us and is ruling over the world right now had a dark side? Take some of the other attributes of God in this passage. Verse 9 tells us God is faithful and just. What if God was unfaithful? Said one thing one day, went back on it the next day. What if we couldn't trust God? Count on his character. What if God was unjust? What if God delighted in injustice and actually promoted it? That would be very bad news. The good news, though, is that God is holy. He's unlike anyone or anything else. Like light, he powerfully shines as the source of pure life and perfect goodness, which means God is perfectly faithful and he is perfectly just. So man or woman whose wife or husband, student whose mom or dad has hurt you, left you, divorced you, abandoned you, hear this. God will never, ever, ever be unfaithful to you. Never. To all who look in the world and see injustice and hate it, know this. The Psalms say God is a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. He is just and he will bring about, he will ensure ultimate justice. But interestingly, it's that reality that leads us to the bad news. And the bad news is, while God is holy, we are sinners Nine times between 1 John 1, 6 and 1 John 2, 2, John mentions sin. More than once a verse. That's in addition to talking about darkness and unrighteousness and deception and lies. Our sinfulness is all over this passage. And the problem is not just that we sin every once in a while. The problem is we are sinners at the core of our being. It's part of who we are. And John is clearly addressing people who say, verse 8, that they have no sin. Or say, verse 10, that they haven't sinned. And John says, you're lying. And you're making God out to be a liar. Blasphemy, because God says we're all sinners. The reality is we all have a bent toward sin. Every one of us, you do, I do. A bent toward disobeying God. If you want a definition of sin, we'll get to it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. But John defines sin as lawlessness, as breaking the law of God, refusing to hear and obey the word of God. So whenever... We think, desire, or act in a way that 
God's word tells us not to think, desire, or act, we sin. Or when we fail to think, desire, or act in a way that God's word says to think, desire, or act, then we sin. Now I'm guessing many, if not most of us, would say, okay, yes, I sin, or I have sinned. But I wonder, how often we stop and just feel the weight of that reality? I'm guessing some of us have never stopped and felt the weight of that reality. And this is where I I want you to see in this passage how bad this news is, particularly in light of the good news that God is holy. Put those two pieces of news together and you discover a problem, a massive problem. And the problem is not just for us. The problem is also for God. God is holy, perfect, good, faithful, just. I want you to hang with me. We're about to dive into kind of the theological deep end for a second. But follow this. God's holy, perfect, faithful, just. We're the exact opposite. We are sinners, imperfect, prone to evil, unfaithful to God. And as a result, we deserve his just judgment. For us to be sinners means we've turned from the light to the darkness. We've turned from good to evil. As a result, we deserve, you and I deserve the just judgment due sin before a holy God. Death. Eternal death. So we love the idea of God's justice until we realize his justice actually means our condemnation. Because we are guilty before a holy God. At which point we think, yeah, yeah, but God's loving, right? Since God is love, can't he just forgive us of our sins? And as soon as we say that, we show that we don't really understand the holiness of God. Because no, God cannot simply overlook our sins. For if he did, he would not be what? Just. Picture a man standing before a judge in a courtroom. The man is guilty of theft and murder. The judge knows it. And the judge says, I simply forgive you. Just go free. We would have that bench off, judge off the bench in a heartbeat. Why? Because he's not right. He's not just. Do we realize this? God's forgiveness of our sin is a threat to his holiness. God's forgiveness of our sin is a problem for God. I'm, I'm in 2 Samuel right now in my daily, daily Bible reading. I'm in chapter 12 where David was guilty of adultery and lying and murder. And Nathan the prophet confronted him. David responds to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Did you hear that? Adultery, lying, and murder just passed over. Is that justice? No. So the question of the center of that passage, the tension there, is the same tension, the center of this passage, question of the center of this passage in 1 John, and it's the tension question at the center of the Bible. How can a holy God show his love to sinners when they are rightly due his wrath? Justly due his wrath. This is the most important question in the Bible. How can God be true, be just, and be kind to us? We've got to feel that because I don't think we really think about that as a problem. We don't, we don't think that's a problem at all. How many people in our country today are losing sleep at night because God is being so kind to sinners? No, on the contrary, we actually point the finger at God and we say, how can you punish sinners? How can you tell us what's right and wrong? And who are you to condemn someone? How can you let people go to hell? That's what, that's what we think. But the question of the Bible is the exact opposite. The question of the Bible is, God, how can you be just and let sinners into heaven? One is a very man-centered perspective, us-centered. One is a very God-centered perspective. And I'm, I'm, my hope in diving into the theological deep end for a second here is to help us see life through a God-centered lens. Question of the Bible is, 
How can God be just and loving towards sinners at the same time? And that's a problem we can't solve because no matter what we do, we still stand as sinners before a holy God deserving of eternal death. There's nothing we can do, no amount of good. That's what I told an Uber driver earlier this week who was pretty wild, a wild driver, and uh, seemed like a pretty wild dude, matched, and... Uh, so we got to know his story. He's a professing Muslim, originally from Kuwait, and he has convinced himself, he's trying to convince me that if he does enough good, God will just overlook the bad. And it's not true. I said, that's not true. God is holy. He's, he's much more holy than you can imagine. He's a good, just judge, which means he can't just overlook sin. And we can't escape the reality that we are sinners this is a problem, Martin Luther said, that needs God to solve it. Which leads to the third piece of news. The good news, God is holy. The bad news, we are sinners. All that leads to the best news. Jesus died for God. Amen. The best news in all the world is that Jesus died for God. Now, you might think I misspoke there. You might think, wait, no, no, didn't, you, didn't you mean Jesus died for us? That's the best news. Now remember, we're trying, trying to, to shift perspective here a little bit. So before we just think about us, let's think about God. I want to show you, and stay in the deep end for a minute, that the best news is that Jesus died for God. So it's true, yes, we'll see in First John, absolutely Jesus died for us. But follow this. We need to realize, I'm, I think many Christians, even today, have never realized that Jesus' death wasn't just for us, that Jesus' death was ultimately for God. Because we're not, we're not the center of the universe. God is. Everything ultimately revolves around Him. That's what First John is teaching us. God is light. That's where it all starts, with God. In Him, there's no darkness. Yet you get to verse 7, and we find the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. How is that possible? How can Jesus' blood cleanse guilty sinners from all their sin? And the answer to that question is chapter two, verse two, where John writes, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That's a great word. I'm pretty sure you won't hear it anywhere else this week. I, I, I'm pretty confident you won't hear it anywhere else in the world. You'll only hear it in the Bible. And you'll hear it twice here in First John. Can you say it out loud with me? Propitiation. Right. Say it one more time without spitting on the person in front of you. <laughs> All right, let's say it one more time. Propitiation. Oh, that's a good word. I, I hope, I know there's kids in here. I hope there's five-year-olds walking out of here today and just like, propitiation. I know what that is. I want you to remember this word and what it means. So propitiation is a word that refers to a sacrifice that settles judgment or satisfies wrath. So get a picture all throughout the Old Testament, when God's people deserved judgment for their sin, they would offer a sacrifice, a propitiation. They would offer this sacrifice as a symbol that the penalty for sin, which is death, had been doled out, had been paid. And as a result, God's just wrath towards sinful people was satisfied. His judgment settled. And so the people were spared. But the whole point by the time you get to the New Testament in the Bible, is that those Old Testament sacrifices were not enough. None of those sacrifices could pay the full price for people's sin against a holy God. So the question still stood. How can a holy God show his love to guilty sinners who are rightly, justly due his wrath? As we've said, this is a problem not just for us. It's a problem for God. Only God can solve it. So we find out in the New Testament that God has solved it. God has solved it by sending his son, Jesus Christ the righteous, 1 John 2, 1 says. The promised savior who never sinned. That's what it means for him to be righteous. He never broke God's law. He kept God's law perfectly, which means he did not deserve the penalty due sin, death. Making him, God in the flesh, uniquely qualified to pay the divine penalty due sinners, to settle the judgment of God, to satisfy the wrath of God. And this is what Jesus did at the cross. This is why Jesus went to the cross. He was dying first and foremost for the glory of God. Listen to him. 
In the Gospel of John, right before he goes to the cross, he says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me for this hour, from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What drove Jesus to the cross? The glory of the Father drove Jesus to the cross. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter three, where he uses this word propitiation. It says of Jesus, God put him forward as a propitiation, the sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. Why? Why did Jesus offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross? Paul answers, this was to show God's righteousness because in God's forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Think David's sins, for example, which could not ultimately stand. So Paul continues, the purpose of the cross was to show God's righteousness at the present time so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Follow this. Jesus died to show that indeed God is holy. God is perfect. He is righteous and he is just. And he is good and he is loving. In one crowning moment in all of human history, Jesus died to satisfy the wrath of God due sinners while showing the love of God to sinners. At the same time, Chinese church leader Watchman Nee once said, if I would appreciate the blood of Christ, I must accept God's valuation of it for the blood is not primarily for me, but for God. Jesus died for the glory of God and all of his holiness and his justice and his love. This is so key. We've got to realize, we've got to turn the tables, have a God-centered view even of the cross. The cross is first and foremost about God. It is a declaration to the world that God is holy, that his love is holy and his wrath is holy. His justice is holy and his mercy is holy. We say things like, I wonder what Jesus saw in me that would send him to the cross. He saw nothing good in you. That's why he went to the cross. The cross is not a display of our value as much as it is a display of God's value. The cross is not intended to make us think highly of ourselves. The cross is intended to make us think highly of God. We look at the cross and we see God is high. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. He is rightly full of wrath towards sin and praise God he is also mercifully full of love towards sinners at the same time all glory be to God Jesus died for God the glory of God on display that's the point here and that changes everything about how we even view the gospel in our lives so so one if if you've never heard or believed This news, I invite you today, I urge you today, believe this news. This is not fake news, this is real news. With a capital R, real news. It's the most real news there is. It's the, hear it, you're a sinner and God has made a way for you to be forgiven of all your sins. In love, he has sent his son and he has poured out the judgment you deserve right where you're sitting on Jesus instead of you. So that when you repent and believe in Jesus, you turn from your sin and yourself and you trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, you will be forgiven of all your sin and reconciled to God forever. That's the best news in the world. So I invite you to receive it. Believe that today. And then when you do, realize, ah, that just leads into two massive exhortations. For every Christian within the sound of my voice. So whether you become a Christian today, whether you've been a Christian for decades, one, I exhort you in light of this best news, walk in the light of God. Walk in the light of God. That's, that's the picture here in First John. God is light. And he says in verse six, if we have fellowship with him, I walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's the picture. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sins. We walk in the light as he in the, is in the light. Remember, light is life and light is goodness. So here's the exhortation. Live the good life. I'm just urging you to live the good life. Now here's the problem. There's a lot of things this world says are the good life and they're lies. Bigger house is not the good life. 
nicer car, possessions, not the good life. More position, it's not the good life. More plaudits in this world, it's not the good life. Don't buy it. All those things are going to burn up in the end. The good life is fellowship with God. What, what will compare with that? Fellowship with God. Walking. That's the emphasis you see from, from verse 6 all the way to chapter 2, verse 6. Walking. Walking with God. Knowing God. Enjoying God. Being with God. It's the good life. <laughs> I think about this last week for me. Uh, without going into details, it was kind of a rough week. Uh, in the midst of a lot of travel. Uh, planes most every day. Some days multiple planes and cities. Um, just tired, but you, you know what got me through? I was reflecting on this this morning. Uh, I, this is the best way to sum it, summarize it. Fellowship with God. There was one, one early morning, uh, not a lot of sleep, and on a plane really early, and so that's where I was spending time in the Word and just in prayer. And, and man, the, the Lord God met me in that seat. And he's just speaking to my heart through his word. And as I'm praying, and uh, I don't know what it's like necessarily to sit next to somebody and they're having a conversation with somebody who's not there <laughs> physically. But I imagine it was a little awkward for the guy next to me, but it, it just didn't matter to me. Like I, <laughs> I was fellowshipping, I was communing, I was spending time with God. And he just, oh, he just, Minister to my heart. I just was praising God in a fresh way this morning for this reality. And I am zealous for you to experience this reality. I want to experience it more and more and more. As your pastor, I want you to know this. I want you to love life with God. That we would be finished and done with a version of Christianity that says, I'm going to pray a prayer and just kind of move on with life as I know it and looks like everybody else in the world. That is not Christianity. I'd be finished and done with that. Walk with God. Now, how do you experience that? Let me give you some practical things flowing from 1 John here. So we're staying in this exhortation walk in the light of God. So how do you get there? Well, one confess sin honestly like there is there is sin that separates us from fellowship with God that's the whole point of the gospel Jesus has paid the price so now now walking with God involves confessing sin that's what he says over and over again here confess our sins now I mentioned earlier I'm guessing we would all say or many of us not most of us would say I sin I know I sin so we're probably not denying sin, like it seems like sin is being denied here in 1 John. But while we might not outright deny sin, like it seems like it's happening here, I think we do find ways to soften sin, to justify it, to rationalize it. Maybe we redefine it in other terms. We say, uh, I mean, it's just an impure thought. Like, I'm a man. It's just normal. It's just one, one website for a minute. Like, it's not hurting anybody. We gossip about others without a second thought. We lash out in anger. But it's not a big deal to us an hour later. We're going to move on. We seek divorce outside the word of God. Because we're convinced that's what's best for us. We, we cut corners. We take advantage of others in the name of advancing our good. We are, I could keep going on and on, we're good at finding ways to sin and call it something else. Or we just become desensitized to sin. To point where we don't even notice it. It doesn't jar us to hear God's name taken in vain. We can watch hours of TV and movies and hardly even notice that. Do we realize what a dangerous position that is to be in? I guess that's the point. We don't realize. We're dulled to sin. 
which means we desperately need to stop in our lives on a daily basis and search our hearts and ask God to show us sin in us, to confess our sin. This word for confess in verse nine, it's a great word, homo legeo. So homo means the same, lego means to speak. So basically to confess sin is to say about sin the same thing that God says about sin. Say, yes, God, this is not good. Confess that. So Christian brother or sister, do you spend time in honest, specific confession of sin in your life on a consistent basis. The word here in 1 John 1, 9, sins, picture is specific, not just sin in general, not just, God, I know I'm a sinner, forgive me for my sin. But no, God, God, I've sinned. Like, take the time to examine your heart. I've sinned this way, that way, today, this week. Remember, God is light. Part of the purpose of light is to expose darkness. The closer we get to light, the clearer we will see areas of our lives that are dark or hidden otherwise. Whenever my family and I have been to the coast, one of our favorite things to do is crab hunting at night. We'll go out on the shore when it's dark, turn on our flashlights, and all these little crabs everywhere. This 5, 8, 10, and 12-year-old just start pursuing them and they start scurrying everywhere. So the light follows them. This, this is the picture. We need God's light, the light of his word to shine in our hearts and our minds and our lives and our relationships daily in ways that expose darkness and lead to honest confession. Honest confession before God. And we confess our sin. God is faithful. God is just. He forgives us our sin, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You might think, well, didn't that happen when I became a Christian when I first put my faith in Jesus? And yes, it did. But the problem is, and that's the point in 1 John, we're still prone to sin. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, Father, forgive us our sins, our trespasses, because this is necessary for ongoing fellowship with God. Think about my kids. Every once in a while, they disobey me. What if they never express sorrow for that? Never ask forgiveness for that? Well, they'd still be my son or daughter, but that would certainly have a negative effect on my ongoing relationship with them. So, confessing honestly, I know that in a room this size and other congregations, different places, like, I know there are many people who right now are trying to hide sin from God and others. I just want to encourage you. Stop being so foolish. See the foolishness of trying to hide anything from God. And especially the God who loves you and desires to cleanse you of all those things. So don't hide sin. You think, well, no, that'll, that'll be better for me if I hide it. No, it's like drinking seawater. And the more you drink, the more it will starve your soul and eventually it will destroy you. Confess sin honestly. And as you do, find the way open for the good life. The devil has convinced you your sin is the good life. Don't believe it. He desires your death. He desires your destruction. He desires the destruction of your marriage. He desires the, the destruction of your family. Don't believe him. Believe God. Walk in the light of God. Confessing sin honestly. And then, so this is the best part, then as you confess sin honestly, receive grace happily. <laughs> Wanted an H word. That seemed like a good one. Happily. That's the beauty of this text. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins. God's faithful. Just forgive us. Cleanses from all unrighteousness. Chapter 2, verse 1. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Ah, so here's, here's a separate concern I have. So as pastor, just praying to, okay, how can I best serve you with this word today? And I'm thinking, okay, there's people hiding sin at the same time. There's, and, and, and we are all, all too often like dull, desensitized to sin. So think about that. But then there's others 
who are so prone to despair over sin, like we beat ourselves up over sin in our lives, which we're supposed to feel, feel sorry for sin, absolutely, to hate it, to want to run from it. But as you run from it, don't forget who you're running to. You're running to God who has made a way for you to be totally forgiven, totally cleansed of all your sin. Do you ever think, ah, I can't go back to God and say, it's me again and it's that again. You just get tired of it, don't you? And you start to think, oh, God's tired of this too. I was having a conversation with my 12-year-old one night this week and he uh, had gone to bed a couple hours before and I was up late and he came up and he was just, we had this long conversation. He said, Dad, I've just been thinking in my bed about sin in my life and uh, he said, I just feel like God is angry with me and, and I'm, I'm kind of afraid of him in that way and so we talked about a, a healthy, right fear of God. But then I said, buddy, when, when you disobey me, like certainly I'm disappointed, but do you know that I love you? Like how much I love you? He's like, yeah. I said, buddy, God is, God's love is so much greater than mine. Like he loves you so much. Like he's, he's your father. You can come to him. So we talked about that. He said, it makes you think uh, how amazing grace is. I said, that's right, buddy. Like, I, I thought, I, I'm thinking around this room, like the, the Bible calls Satan an accuser. And when we sin, he says to us, you're not worthy. You can't go before God. And in that moment, I just want to plead with you today based on the word of God, not to believe that lie. You can absolutely go before God. If anybody sins, chapter two, verse one, says we have an advocate with the Father, literally a helper, a defender who stands on our behalf. It's like we're in a courtroom. Picture this. In a courtroom, Satan accuses us of what we've done wrong and Jesus stands up as our defense attorney and says, attorney and says I've already paid the price for that. And Satan says, objection, your honor. And God the Father says, overruled. This is my son. Justice has already been paid. That'll make you happy. You're sending, sitting over there, the defendants stand like walk in the light of God, knowing you've forgiven, been forgiven by God Himself. Remember that great hymn, Before the Throne of God Above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. And Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, the perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, my Savior and my God. Yes. <laughs> Confess sin, honestly. Receive grace happily. And then, and then just flowing from that, obey the word humbly. Verse four of chapter two. By this we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever keeps his word, verse five, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So the picture is, and we, we confess sin, we receive grace. And so we want to obey and we want to walk in the light, obeying him humbly, knowing, knowing, okay? So we're not perfect. John clearly is allowing for sin in the picture here. But think, this is where I want to encourage you to think, and we'll talk about this at different points in First John. Think holy direction, not holy perfection. So perfection, that's coming, there's coming a day when there's not going to be any more sin, when we're with God in heaven. Come, we're looking forward to that day. Until that day, we're in a direction toward that day. So we're, we're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. That's what we want, knowing that there's still sin that remains. So we, we want to grow in, in obedience in this way and in the process, grow in our experience of God's love. Remember, that's the whole point. 
I write these things so you know you may have eternal life. You may experience God's everlasting love. The good life is found in obedience to God's word. Guaranteed. The good life is found in obedience to God's word. So this is what I long as your pastor for you to experience. Walking in the light of God. And then as you do, here's the second massive exhortation. Witness to the love of God. Witness to the love of God. So Jesus is the propitiation, verse 2, for our sins, but not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So, uh, for the last four years, I have had the privilege, uh, many of you know, of uh, leading an international missions organization called the International Mission Board, represents tens of thousands of churches and supports and serves thousands of missionaries uh, all around the world, places where the gospel uh, has not gone. And these years I have grown to love and yeah, thank God for these brothers and sisters and the privilege of leading them in that way. At the same time, over the last year, God led me uh, by his grace to be able to be a part of this body and to be a part of shepherding this church alongside other pastors. And so I've been transitioning out of that role. That transition will uh, become official a couple weeks from now. And uh, as I think about that, like well, I've had people ask me, like, why? Why would you, why would you lead? I mean, I thought you were passionate about missions. Why would you leave a missions organization to, to be pastor in a, in a church? And, uh, and the ultimate answer is God led, like he directs our lives in different ways at different times. He'll lead somebody to that role. He leads us all to all kinds of different roles and vocations in his sovereign goodness. But when it comes down to it in my own heart, like I, I can't escape uh, love for the, the church, the local church, and, and conviction in my heart that God has uniquely designed the church a local church for the spread of this good news to the whole world. Like mission organizations can and should exist and help organize and facilitate, but it's, it's local churches together saying, we, we want to make the, the good news, the best news in the world known all over the world. And so a few year, four years ago, I stepped in that role with a zeal to leverage whatever part of my life I've got uh, left to be about getting the gospel to the nations. And I just want you to know as, as pastor, like that zeal is no less today than it was four years ago. Like it's, it's greater. But, but at the core of that, so that's where I just, I, I thank God for the privilege um, of being able to partner with you, us being able to partner together and say, so how can we make this best news known? In Metro Washington, D.C., among the nations here, and then from here, in the world. And so uh, global mission is not like a program in the church. It's like the purpose for which Jesus died. Therefore, it's the purpose for which we live as church. Like I think about, uh, I was praying for Turkey earlier this week. Turkey, 80 million people in the country of Turkey. 80 million. Do you know how many Christians there are, Bible-believing Christians in Turkey out of 80 million? They estimate about 6,000. There's, there's more people. There's twice as many people today who will gather together as McLean Bible Church. And there are Christians in all of Turkey out of 80 million people. And so, let's hear this exhortation. We, we need to witness the love of God to the world. Like we want to be a part of changing that reality in Turkey. And it's happening. It's happening here in all kinds of ways. I mean, what we're able to do in Ethiopia. We got a team going to DR this week in different places. That was one of the other highlights of my week this last week amidst other things going on. Like I just uh, had the privilege of uh, being, I was in Birmingham uh, uh, where uh, I was celebrating a 10-year anniversary of a ministry that started 10 years ago. It all started when... Uh, uh, by God's grace, I was preaching Psalm 67 uh, 
May God be gracious to us, bless us, make his face to shine upon us, that his ways may be known on earth, his saving power known among the nations. And three guys uh, in that, that service that day said, we want to take the blessing of God in our lives and make his glory known among the nations. And so they started this water ministry called Never Thirst that is aimed at getting clean water uh, to where people don't have clean water in places everywhere from uh, Chad to India to... Uh, uh, Myanmar, Cambodia, and so, uh, and they're doing it all with the gospel through churches, and so it's just a celebration of like half a million people who now have clean water today, and I just, I, I, I walked away from that, and I was just praying. One, God, I praise you for all you're doing in and through McLean Bible Church around the world right now, and I just pray, and may it just be the beginning, in a sense, of fruit being born over the next 5, 10, 15 years around the world to the glory of your name. Through, through your word, penetrating hearts and causing us to say, this news is too good to keep to ourselves. We're not hogging this news in Metro Washington, D.C. <laughs> We're making it known in the world because that's, that's the purpose for which he died. So exhortations, let's walk in God's light, confessing sin, receiving grace, obeying God's word. And as we do, let's witness to the love of God. Let's tell the world that God is light and God is love so that more and more and more people might have fellowship with him and us. May it be so. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh God, we praise you. You are light in you. There is no darkness at all. You are perfectly good and we praise you. We gather together today just to give you worship. If we did nothing else today, but we're just to sit here for an hour and a half just saying, you are good, you are good, you are good, that would be more than appropriate. We praise you for your goodness. And so we pray that you would help us by the grace you have offered in Christ, by his propitiation for our sins, help us to walk in your light. And help us to make your love known right here in Metro D.C. and wherever you lead us in the world. God, may it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. If you'd like to watch today's full sermon or download the free discussion questions, as always, you can do that and more at our website, Radical.net. And if you are in the Washington, D.C. area and would like to hear David in person, make plans to visit McLean Bible Church, where David serves as teaching pastor. You can learn more about McLean and find a campus near you at mclanebible.org. That's M-C-L-E-A-N Bible.org. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us at Radical.net.